Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Often people will ask me what our vision for Graceland Church is. Where are we headed? What is in our future as a church? What are our goals short-term, long-term? And then how are we going to accomplish them? And today we're going to look at a story that gives us the most important principle in response to these questions. In fact, if we get this one thing right, everything else will fall into place. The title is today, We Follow His Presence. And it's part two of a series leading up to Easter called Prepare for Tomorrow. Pastor Oscar did a phenomenal job last week. Let's thank Oscar for that message called Consecrate Yourself. In answer to these questions, we do have an articulated mission vision, and values. And let me quickly take you through those in case you haven't heard them before. And they're actually, I have a few extra notes today, so they're on the back at the top where it says our mission. We are a church family all about following Jesus and loving our neighbor for the good of the city. Keep it simple. We follow Jesus. That's what we are all about. Our vision is to be a diverse and enduring church focused on the mission of God, building a land of grace. And I'm gonna talk about that towards the end of the message a little bit more. And we have these four values that are not in your notes, but if you look at this banner here, compassion, belonging, formation, renewal. And they are not only meant to be thought of in a sequential way, but they do help us think sequentially at times. We connect with people through compassion and meeting needs. We welcome them into the family of God with a sense of belonging. We disciple them in the way of Jesus so they are formed into his likeness and we equip and send them into the work of God in the world, which is the renewal of all things. And I'm so thankful for this language and it is helpful and you'll hear us talk about it a lot because it gives us something we can rally around and it is true to what he has spoken to us through scripture and for our local church, but In reality, when it comes to specifics, we don't know all that God has in store for us. We really only know one step at a time at best, and this story gives us a really important principle that if we get it right, we'll get everything else right. The context is that the people of Israel have been called to the promised land, just like all of us. God has given us a vision for the promised land, what he has for our life. And this is the second time that the Israelites got blocked by a body of water. Right after they got delivered from Egypt under the leadership of Moses, they came smack dab to the Red Sea. And God did a miracle, parted it, and they walked through on dry land. Now they have come to something called the Jordan River. And that's where we pick up in Joshua 3. We're gonna read verses one through five. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. 
And in verse four, we see something that was true of them then, and it is true of us now, and it's the first asterisk at the top of your notes. We are going somewhere we have never been before. It is a new day. It's a new chapter for all of us. It's new territory, new ground, new adventures, new people, new projects, and new opportunities. My wife and I talk about the differences in personality sometimes. I prefer like a blank page where we can create something and just go for it and dream. She prefers a page that is already written where she can step into a story and like edit it and make it better. You know what I mean? Different types of personalities, not better or worse. Where are my blank page people? Anybody here like me? You just, you, let's just make something up. Where are my people that like a story that's already written and you get to enter it? See, not better or worse, but different. And I think both of us can really find our place in this because for us blank page people, we can see it as a blank page. We have never done this. Here we go. For us people that want to step into a story already written, we serve a God that knows the end from the beginning, right? He is outside of time and he is writing a story for us. It's that beautiful mystery of like God's sovereignty and our free will and how it all comes together. So you are stepping into his story and that ultimately will become our history together. And you need to get this to really understand how profound this story is. The Ark of the Covenant is what they're talking about in this passage, which God commanded them to build. You might know it if you have not studied the Old Testament much from Raiders of the Lost Ark. A lot of people know it from that. Well, they didn't make that up. This is the design of God and is representative all throughout the Old Testament of God's presence. That's what the Ark of the Covenant is. So when they commanded the people, when you see the Ark, move out from your positions and follow it because you have never been where you are going and then you will know. It leads us to this promise. We will follow the presence of God and we will know which way to go. We may not know it all now, but we will. Our pastor emeritus, Pastor Ralph Duncan, says this to me a lot, and I love it. It's not about what we know, it's about what he knows. We are riding the wave of what the Lord is doing. The reason my family and I were away last Sunday is because we got to visit uh, for five or six days uh, a church family that we love. The church is called First North Little Rock, so First NLR. The pastor there is Rod Loy and his wife, Cindy, and they have two sons, um, Parker and Tyler, and they are just dear, dear friends of ours. Rod Loy has been a mentor to me and really to my whole family. Their church has been an oasis for us in the hardest chapters of our life, and we met them our first year in L.A. It's a whole beautiful God story. You may not know this, but pastors need pastors too, and it's essential for me at times to step out of the context of pastoring and leading and be pastored and led, right? And I forget how much I need that. I know it as a discipline, but every time I follow through and act on that, it is once again um, quite rejuvenating and sometimes life-changing for my family and I. Also, he serves as one of our overseers organizationally. So Pastor Rod Loy is connected to this church. We are in a strategic partnership with them they coach, they mentor us on many levels. And one of the things I got to do while there was share a teaching at their all staff meeting. It's a large church. I think they've got about 110 staff members. 
and they have missionaries from all over the world uh, share at their staff meetings. And I remember, you know, 12, 13 years ago, going to the, some of these meetings when I was visiting and just being so blessed hearing these heroes of the faith share. And so it was such an honor to get to teach there. And he gave me an assignment, which was lessons learned in the move from Los Angeles to Nashville, because we planted churches and pastored in Los Angeles for eight years before coming here five years ago to plant another church. And so another way to think of that question is, what are the differences in pastoring in a more unchurched area like Los Angeles versus a more churched area like Nashville or West Coast versus the South? And also in our story here, the church plant became a merger and, and our young team merged with an incredible group of seniors and Graceland Church, we go forward together. So also differences between like a raw church plant and pastoring through a merger. And I wanna share these seven lessons with you because I think they're pertinent to what it means for us to follow his presence. Because following his presence, as we're instructed in Joshua, following the ark when we see it, the way we do that is we pay attention to his voice and what he is teaching us. Are you tracking with me? So the way you can follow his presence is pay attention to what he's saying to you. And I believe these seven lessons are things that he's really been saying to me and to us as a church to varying degrees. When we first got here, it would have been the very beginning of 2018, I really wrestled with why God brought us here, even though I was certain that God was doing this. And the reason I wrestled with it is because I was just seeing so many church buildings everywhere. And I'm thinking, why would God take me away from Los Angeles to plant a new church here? And almost everyone that I met in Nashville was saying things like, oh yeah, um, my brother planted a church. I, I know what you're doing. Oh yeah, I have three cousins that all planted churches. Oh yeah, I was actually a part of this church plant right across the street. Like everyone knew what it was. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm over-exaggerating, not actually everyone, but it felt like everyone I talked to was aware of what we were doing. In Los Angeles, it was the exact opposite. We, we not only didn't meet people that knew what church planners are, people never knew what pastors were, and people oftentimes had never been around true Christianity, and that was just a different experience. But God began to speak to me, and he reminded me in these first few months that one, Nashville in this region is, is and is becoming more of one of these cities that is gonna represent the full spectrum of our nation. With the amount of people moving here from places like Los Angeles and all over California and all over the country, as Nashville's become such a viable, creative hub, we see the full reality of what's happening, the good, the bad, and the ugly right here in our city. And I really believe God spoke to my wife and I about he wants us to be right in the middle of that in this region. And it leads to, to, to this principle, this lesson, number one. Post-Christian thinking, meaning how many people think in Los Angeles and really how many of our young people think because we're discipled so much by culture, it's permeated our culture. Uh, so there are people who need to hear the gospel everywhere. It sounds so simple, but we need to be reminded that even here in the Bible Belt, there are people that need to hear the gospel. I should get an amen on that. Even here in the Bible Belt, there are people that need to hear the gospel. The work is not done here. And then God continued to speak to me about just reminding me that I was a kid that grew up in the Bible Belt, Virginia Beach, but didn't know the Lord for many, many years. And I've talked about this the last few weeks, but the second lesson was don't assume someone knows and follows Jesus just because they are active in the church. 
including our own church. And not that we are the judge of who knows and follows Jesus, but we should never assume it. Busy church life doesn't mean someone is following Jesus. We can know much, but follow little. We talked about this recently. We can be educated beyond our level of obedience. And so it's very important to know what Jesus teaches, but our life changes when we do what he teaches. So that helps us understand why the mission here is still so critical. And then this Barna quote leads me to the third lesson. One study among unchurched adults shows that nearly four out of every 10 non-church-going Americans said they avoid churches because of negative past experiences in churches or with church people. That means that about four out of every 10 adult Americans that aren't in the church right now used to be, but they left because they got hurt there. Number three, we have an entire mission field of people who have given up on God and the church because of church hurt. There are people all around this room right now and all around our first service this morning that when we met you, you felt devastated by the church and like you could never be a part of a church again. And God is interested in doing restorative work in our lives so that we re-engage with the body. And that's not to say we are a perfect church. People will get hurt here too. The question is how we deal with it and how we move forward together. And from a mission perspective, listen, we have an entire enormous mission field right in our backyards of people who are suffering in isolation, longing for more. How many of you guys have heard of Skid Row in Los Angeles? That's a street that is very well known for the brokenness, the brokenness and the homelessness that is so very evident there. Some of our other staff members have done ministry there. I've done ministry there many times when we lived there. And sometimes we look at places like that in cities like LA and maybe in, in some places like in downtown Nashville, and we think that's where all the brokenness is. But the fourth lesson is this. The idyllic scenery of the suburbs is often masking the same brokenness, the same dysfunction, and the same desperation of Skid Row and places like it. I'm just using Skid Row as an example because I'm talking about Los Angeles. But the fact that we're in Williamson County and we are in, for the most part, pretty wealthy suburbs, in some cases, extremely wealthy suburbs, does not mean that the longings of our hearts are met. It does not mean that our families are whole. It does not mean that we are flourishing in the way that God has called us to. It does not mean that people are not drowning in addiction. They are all over the place, right? So we need to see through what can just look like the idyllic version of the suburbs. And this is not to be a downer. This is just reality. Anybody with me? We must acknowledge reality because it helps us understand things cannot stay as they are. We've had families show up here. I'm not going to obviously call anyone out um, that's not here anymore, but I could tell multiple stories of people who were like educated biblically, had all kinds of degrees, came in ready to just like join the team and serve. And then we find out about debilitating brokenness and addiction and their life falls apart and we do everything we can to serve them and they still get upset at us and leave anyway. And that's a pattern because of the brokenness, because of the pain. And God has called us to do something about that. One of the mistakes I made when we became a merger, when a church plant merged with an existing group 
and we moved forward together. That was about four years ago now. God really blessed that, and it's been a wonderful season, and I'm so thankful for what he's done. But one of the things that I thought was, hey, everyone is just going to stay if they see the fruit of ministry, right? And when I said that to one of my mentors once, he literally, like, laughed at me over the phone. I was like, why are you I was like, we're all longing to see God move, so if God is moving, everyone's always going to stay. But that's a, that's a giant mistake, and it's not to say that everyone who leaves is wrong, right? God calls some people to different seasons, and we always bless everyone that leaves. But sometimes people leave because I eventually realize in my dealings with them that they're no longer even on the mission of God. They're just kind of stuck in their own wants and needs and can simply become very religious, right? And it's just kind of like a personal club. I don't want anything ever to be different. And the principle here, I'm going to quote my friend John Tyson, religious people have preferences Missional people have stories, and I love that. You should ask yourself, do I have more preferences about church, or do I have more stories of what God is doing, right? It's not about colors of walls or carpet or what we're going to build on the land of grace. It all matters, but we're going to make mistakes. You are not going to have every preference you want met here. I don't even have every preference I want met here. And, and let, me just, let me just invite you right now, because we'll get this off the table once and for all. Raise your hand if you would like something to be different about Graceland Church. Be honest with me. My hand's up. Just raise your hands. Everybody raise your hands. Be truthful. I'm just telling you now. It wasn't a test. Every hand should go up, because we are not about, and it is impossible to meet everyone's preferences. It will never happen. It would lead us on an unending circle of chasing our own tail. What we should do is focus on the mission of God. We need to call churched people back to the mission of God. And that starts with ourself. Back to the adventure. Back to the simple priority of sharing the gospel with people. None of thing else matters. This is what we are called to, period. And I think it's one of the reasons that we see so much church hopping in Bible Belt areas because we get away from that so much. It becomes so much about our preferences. Um, if we don't get two or three things that we ultimately really want, we've got to go somewhere else, or maybe we do get upset about this or that. And again, it's not to vilify anyone who has left. We've all left somewhere to be here, right? God will often lead us into new seasons. And to be clear, we always bless people when they, when they go. And, you know, church, um, people that study church um, uh, statistics, couldn't find that word, will tell you churches need to grow by 30% every year just to stay the same size. And that's true of every church across America. And that's because there's always a little bit of steady flow in and out of every church. It's not even a bad thing. So don't hear me wrong here. I'm talking about if we become people and we have a lot of people in our area like this that, that try on new churches like they try on new outfits, right? Like I wanna, I wanna experience a different day, let me go to a different church and you'll go to a dozen churches in over five years if you keep going with that. And so we do need to call people to commitment to a family, consistency with a family if it's healthy and getting healthier. And I also think this sixth lesson is really important. There is one church, Big C Church, one shepherd, that's Jesus, and many under shepherds. That's all of us pastors and leaders in the church. And this is really important to remember, we're all on the same team. If anyone ever comes to me trying to talk bad about another pastor or church in the area, especially if it's a church that I'm familiar with and I'm in relationship with, I just stop them and say, hey, those are my friends. We believe in that work over there. I'm having coffee with them next week. 
you know, I don't, I wouldn't just make that up. But you know, I, I, I'm in fellowship with these people is what I'm saying. I'm in fellowship with these pastors and with these leaders on purpose. Conduit Church and us, same team. <laughs> Gateway Church down the road and us, same team. Esperanza down the road, same team. Now, I have to give the little clarification. There are some churches that go incredibly unhealthy and become horribly toxic and broken. And those type of places, you should leave. Right? You should. That's not usually the case, though. Every church is imperfect. Some churches become like a giant mess, and you just have to get out. Other churches leave the Orthodox faith and no longer teach Scripture. You can't even call it a church, but they might still call it a church. So those places you should leave. But for the most part, we are here on the same team. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying here? And I believe this is a really important lesson for us. And it leads to this seventh idea. And let me set it up this way. I realize that especially in the Bible Belt, way more so than in Los Angeles, if I would be willing to just make half of my sermon every week bad things about other pastors and churches, I, probably our church wouldn't do this because we're, we're, we're like together trained not to do this. But you can get amens all day if you do that. You can build a following faster by tearing others down than by loving others. Have you guys noticed this? Common enemy is way, is way easier than common vision. It's so easy to rally people around elitism. And that's a, it's a sin. It's the pride of our heart. So the seventh lesson is it's easier to build a following by criticizing others than loving others. And we must stay focused on loving others. I just taught on this two or three weeks ago. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I guarantee you this, when people leave this church or if you ever leave, we're gonna love you. I think it's more important in some ways for me to demonstrate a loving relationship with Pastor Darren Tyler over at Conduit, who's a real dear friend of mine. That will be a testament to the validity of Jesus to the world, right? The way we will support and go to bat for each other, even behind the scenes in sacrificial ways that no one ever sees. And I could call out 30 other pastors in the area that I do that with. We must love. And this is true for you guys as like members of different churches, right? We will not be an elitist church. We will be humbly a part of what God is doing in the area. Don't hear me wrong. We will be passionate in our convictions of what we know God has called us to do. You, you know, you won't slow us down, but we're gonna be humbly a part of what God is doing. We're not showing up with the answers. He is the answer. And we are just all like beggars pointing other beggars where to find the bread. You know that quote? That's the truth. And that's gonna lead me into a practical closing here where I wanna share some long-term and short-term goals and strategies. Let me start with long-term. Um, People have been making fun of me because I've been saying this a lot recently, but I'm thinking very much in a 25-year chunk now because I'm 40, and in 25 years, I'll be 65, and I feel like that's my window, you know? And so I would love to pastor this church for the rest of my life, and, or, and, you know, until I'm 65 and step down or 60, whatever it ends up being, until you kick me out, right? I am actually praying that God would allow me just, just to pastor this church for the rest of, of that season of my life before I go into more of a retirement phase like a pastor emeritus and just support. And our, our, our long-term vision and really what I see and what I believe God is calling us to is articulated in this phrase. The first section is a diverse and enduring church. Diverse in every way. And I was celebrating this this morning. 
We have people from nine, 10 years old all the way into their 80s serving on a regular basis on Sundays here at Graceland Church. That is beautiful and not highly common, especially where they really like each other, especially where they really enjoy serving. We have two teenagers serving in the booth back right there, right now, my daughter and Sam, and not Zach. He's a little, little past teenage years. We had, he tried to raise his hand, no. Um, he, we had the Rachels up here leading uh, scripture reading and prayer today who are a little bit past their teenage years representing relational, I'm sorry, generational diversity. And we've had every decade in between regularly serving. And we are also committed to cultural diversity. As our area grows increasingly culturally diverse, we want to reflect that. I actually am praying that we could help lead the way for our area and be more culturally diverse than even our area is going through these 25 years. 25 years from now, this area is going to be very, very different in cultural diversity. And in my opinion, that is a really, really good thing. And then we also want to be diverse socioeconomically. We want every one, every generation, every background, every color, every class has a seat at the table in the kingdom, right? That's what we're about. And so we, we want to be healthy in that sense and growing healthier. And over this 25-year arc, I, I really have no doubt we'll see thousands of people following Jesus and loving our, their neighbor, living out this mission. Some of them will be brand new followers of Jesus, some renewed, some getting whole and free for the first time. Some will stay that whole time. Some won't stay that whole time and be sent out other places. And what I really think will happen, because people are often curious what I think about this, I think we'll end up building a sanctuary that's around 11 or 1,200 people as like a phase two of our expansion project, and that will never build bigger than that on purpose. We'll do multiple services in that facility, and then we'll just multiply and send other people out. That's what I really think will happen, Lord willing, if God continues to lead us down that path. If you think about trees, they grow to a certain size, and then they just multiply, right? It's not about like forever being more mega, 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 and I don't think that's what our our culture and our world really needs right now. We want to be a sending church, which leads me into, we want to be focused on the mission of God. And the reason I shared those seven lessons is because I want us to know the mission of God still matters here in the Bible Belt, my friends. And it also matters globally, and we get to be a part of that story as well. And we will always be more committed to people than buildings, right? We're always going to invest our best into sharing the ministry, the, the, the message of reconciliation with people. And I'm convinced over this 25-year arc, we'll see thousands equipped and sent out locally. We'll be committed to making disciples, not just making budget. We're committed to seeing people filled with the Spirit, not just trying to fill rooms. I think pastors in the American church, and I can speak of us because I am one of us, are we are too easily satisfied with filling up rooms. We think that might mean something more than what it does. Don't hear me wrong, a full room worshiping, amazing. But are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we really growing as disciples of Jesus? Are we really saying yes to the call of God in our lives? Are we really dealing with what's happening in our inner world? Are we really stewarding the resources that God has given us? Are we sacrificing? Are we saying yes? Or are we just buying into kind of like a comfort ride until we die? I believe we'll see thousands served in our city. I believe we'll see hundreds raised up, equipped, and sent, like raising up missionaries from our church. 
I'm going to share the pulpit with a missionary next Sunday, and we're going to talk about the global vision uh, that we're supposed to have as Christians and what our role in it is. And I'm convinced as we grow, we'll give millions of dollars towards kingdom work and compassion work all around the world every single year. And then we're going to build a land of grace. That's the third part of that vision. And under this land of grace idea is a threefold strategy, and I'm going to share an expansion update. The first part of the land of grace is expanding our church. So as we grow, we need to make more space. So as you know, we've designed part one of that right now, and I'm going to get to an update in a moment. The second part of our threefold strategy of the land of grace is nonprofit partnership. So we have been meeting with and vetting potential nonprofits that will end up partnering with us on this land of grace. And if you don't know, we have 135 acres of land that we are praying through how God wants us to steward it and designing you could almost think of it as getting to build a version of a Berry Farms. We're, we're actually working with um, the same architect that does a lot of that work. Not that it will be Berry Farms, but you can have a, a community design that has everything from uh, residential to commercial to nonprofit stuff, and our church would be in the midst. And it leads to that third part, the commercial and residential partnership, which will also produce an income stream for kingdom work in perpetuity. Are you tracking with me? You guys didn't know, but you're all on our leadership team right now. This is like a leadership team meeting update. And then this will be for generations to come, Lord willing, if Jesus doesn't return. We want to set up the work that he does here for whoever is coming after us. I love the Anne, uh, I think her name is Anne Lamont quote. Am I getting that right? A hundred years, all new people. So powerful to realize that, humbling. We can have a little 25-year vision, but that's a little blip right? 100 years, all new people. So we want to set this up for them. And then here's the expansion update. So, and it'll lead us into some short-term goals, and then we'll, we'll close and, and just respond and pray together. Um, we did a Christmas offering. We talked about it a lot over Christmas time, and I wanted to share an update about that and just an amazing story. We were meeting with our board of trustees a month or two ago, and um, we were looking at our notes from last year at a meeting pre-Christmas. And in our notes uh, was this line that I didn't remember and probably none of us remembered. It was typed in there. It said, it basically said, should we go for a $100,000 Christmas offering? And in that meeting, we talked about how insane that would be because we're not a giant church and $100,000 is a lot of money, right? And we've never given anywhere near that for anything. But we discussed it and we prayed and we kind of thought, let's just go for it. We made the goal actually 120. And then over the course of Christmas, and many of you, almost all of you gave towards that Christmas offering, um, there was one person about to give to, to, as like one of the last givers, just actually last month. And they said, how much more would it take to hit exactly 100,000? Because we were in the 90s at that point, which is amazing. And they gave exactly that amount. So our Christmas offering ended at exactly $100,000. And at our recent board meeting, we didn't realize it until the board meeting. I keep looking at Lauren because she's on our board and she's our treasurer. Until we were in our board meeting, we said, oh my goodness, look what's written here. Dreaming about $100,000 like faith offering for Christmas offering. Look what exactly came in. To the penny, $100,000. Isn't that amazing? That just doesn't, I don't know. How does that happen? I don't know. I just take that as the Lord is doing it and a lot of investment from our church and then what that offering did for us is we paid off this building. That was 50000 of it done. So amazing. We thank God. We burned the mortgage. 
We also gave towards our expansion fund, our benevolence fund, and our recovery fund, all of which we've already been using those funds. I could tell you lots of stories, and I'll tell you more as the year goes on. But part of the expansion money that came in was the, the design work, and that's the update I'm giving you right now. So this is a follow-up on that offering. We designed an expansion to this room that makes it kids and youth, and we designed a five to 600 seat addition, an additional building to L-shape us here and then a foyer that connects them. We love that design. We have not showed it to you yet just because we're not sure we're gonna use that design and here's why. When we saw the cost of all of it, even when we got it all the way down to the cheapest possible, we realized we don't wanna invest that much money on an expansion right here unless we're totally sure it's not time to build over on the other part of our land that I wanna show you right now. So on this picture, You'll see 65, that's 65 right there, the highway, and this is 840 down here. So Ramsey Solutions would, you know, be up here on the right. Down here is the big amphitheater, um, I think. Yeah, down here is the big amphitheater. Down here, uh, this road is where our current church building is, where we're sitting right now. So it's not even on this map. This is not our current master plan. This, this plan predated me even getting here by a few years. So everything you see, those buildings, all that green is just fields and woods. Um, that's the little cemetery that you can see from the highway. So the shed, the old shed is like somewhere right. Actually, no, I'm confusing you. The cemetery is on here somewhere and the old shed is on here somewhere. The point being, I just wanted you to see where the land was. That's the cell tower there in the little triangle. And there's actually more than just this green, an additional 50 acres that we actually own. So this will all be a part of the land of grace for the good of the city. And so what we needed to discern before we invest the money to expand this and do that size of a project, we needed to do all the land testing and soil testing and um, environmental studies and all these crazy things that I didn't even know existed to find out if it's feasible for us to just build here now instead of expand here. Does that make sense? And so those reports we put into motion starting last December and in January, we're just now starting to get them in. We should have all of them in this spring. And then once we get all that collected, the team that's helping make these decisions is gathering again to look at all of it and see what is really possible. And then we will decide whether we expand this or whether we start building right over there. Make sense to everybody? So we're not exactly sure which direction yet. And um, it leads to and some of the short-term goals that I want to share. Um, one of them is 400 being formed in their faith. That's a goal of mine. 400 people actively engaged as disciples of Jesus growing in their faith. To have that, the church would really need to be more like 600 or so, because right now we're 350-ish and we're probably more like 200 really engaged that, that's like locked in and growing in that sense. So a goal for me for these next few years, and I'd love for you to adopt this, is to get to that 400 being formed in these next couple years. I wanna see us grow in meeting the needs in our community, to really be looking for those open doors. We have some new people in our church, newish I should say, that I think are really gonna partner with us in this way that God's gonna use. We wanna strengthen all our ministries, teams, and systems always. So our commitment is to just always get better and then I want to see 200 people actively serving on the Graceland team, and then 120 every Sunday as kind of our next phase of growth. And that's part of why we're highlighting the teams in the foyer, and we have a QR code here. If you'd like to do the online connection card, you can do that as well, and we'll get the report. There's all kinds of teams and things that we're expanding. There is genuine need there. People often 
see a church that's just functioning and assume they've got every position filled. No, we desperately need people. We need people locked in with all of these teams. So take a look at it out there. Click that QR code over the next three weeks. We'd love to see a whole new wave of people engaged um, in different areas in our church. We, we need more sound people. We need more kids people. We're growing our worship team. We need hospitality. We're going to start a new parking team, we think, because we, until we build a bigger parking lot, parking is just going to be more and more of an issue for us. Lots of things we need people to come connect with the vision God has given us. Um, another short-term goal is to fill up the 9 a.m. service. This has already been happening gradually. Um, one, that service has just been growing. Two, some people from this service have moved to that service. And I'm just saying, this service is great, but that service is getting really good. We had an awesome baptism at the end of first service today. Eric Black baptized his daughter, Scarlett, and it was amazing, and you missed it. So if you want to get in on that kind of stuff, we'll be doing baptisms in this service too. We'll just baptize. I'm, I'm joking with you, kind of. Sometimes people think that first services are like less than. First service is off the chain. Can I say that? First service is amazing. Um, if you think it'd be great for you to switch to first service, let me know. We've already had probably about 20, 25 or so switch just in these past month or two. We're looking for about 50, especially as we lead up to Easter. And by all means, no guilt if you stay in this service. We want this service to be amazing too. But we need to make room. And then we're beginning to think through how to structure and what it'll look like to go to a third service because in the next year or so or two, whatever it'll be, Lord willing, that will happen. And for everyone, another short-term goal is park far, sit close. We usually have room up in the front and less room in the back, which is not good for newcomers. So like on Easter, if you're willing, sit two or three rows closer than you usually do because that'll help us fill it up with church family. And when newcomers come in, they'll at least see that there's a space open without them having to come to the very front row. You know what I'm talking about? Same with parking. If you can park out on the driveway, do it. And it leaves room for uh, people to come into the lot. And then an update on our debt. So we paid off this building, amazing. Now we only have one piece of remaining debt when it comes to all of our land, which hear me clear, 135 acres of land in Franklin on this intersection worth many tens of millions of dollars that God has called us to steward. And the only debt we have left now is on the field between here and 840. And because this is commercially zoned land, every acre is very valuable. So that debt is 950,000. It's worth far more than that, but we feel like God has called us to keep it so that we can steward it long-term for the kingdom rather than do like a quick sale right now. So that's 950,000. And then we took some additional into that to help pay for these master plan studies. So it totals up to 1.1 million is our debt. And then we have a $600,000 line of credit that we also got approved for to help us so that we can pay for all of those environmental studies and everything that we're doing. So those short-term goals, as far as money goes, are to gradually pay down that debt in these two years. And whatever we don't pay down will be folded into the expansion project that will, Lord willing, begin next year. Is that all making sense? And the expansion project would not just be the church expansion, but since we're doing the master plan work, we will hopefully begin to develop the partnerships on a nonprofit and a commercial and potentially residential level at the same time. So there's a chance that next year, at some point, all of this will begin. That's what we were praying for. And we need you guys to pray. Are you, is that making sense? Please come and talk to me if you have any questions. And I want to remind you, as the worship team comes up, where we started with this. 
we're going somewhere we've never been before, right? We don't want to be making big decisions when it comes to all of this development and what we're doing. I'm sorry, we don't want to be making wrong decisions when it comes to decisions that are this significant. But we will follow the presence of God, and we will know which way to go. And our role, to, to quote Pastor Oscar from last week, last week, our role in seeing the wonders of God tomorrow is to consecrate ourselves today, to dedicate ourselves to the purposes of God. Can you stand with me? To consecrate means to dedicate. We do it individually, and we do it as a church family. So I'm going to ask you in your heart right now, if you're with us and you're wanting to just lock in and say, yeah, I'm part of this church family, even if you're newish here, just, just tell the Lord, I, I, I want to be a part of this. And then follow up with us, get connected on a team, become a member, come to Newcomers Connect, which happens a few weeks from now in April. There's lots of ways to lock into it, but I'm asking you to step in by faith if God is stirring in you to do it. Use the QR code, meet some people in the foyer. And this is all part of consecrating yourselves because tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among us. Look at me for one more second before we sing. The text said, when you see the ark, follow it, but don't get too close. Do you remember that? It said stay, I think it said 2,000 cubits away. Do not go near it. The reason for that was because the ark of the covenant is where the presence of God dwelled with them and it would kill them. That's why that whole movie happened with Indiana Jones. Like, they all die at the end, right? It said it would kill them. But in the new covenant, the gospel of Jesus has made a bridge between us and the very holiness and presence of God. That's what the gospel is. We get clothed in the very righteousness and holiness of God to the point that the new temple for the presence of God is us. It's not an external thing. It's not this building. It's you. It's me. How unbelievable. And so really the best thing we can do to dedicate ourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonderful things is put all our attention on this Lamb of God that we sang about. That's Jesus. Who did this work. Who's gone before us. Who builds his church. Who sends us the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. The joy and the reward that this line is talking about is from Scripture. It's hard to wrap our heads around, but the reward that Jesus receives is you wholly accepting what he's done for you. You saying, yes, I'm going to run my race. You saying, yes, I'm clothed in his righteousness. Yes, I'm forgiven. Yes, there is hope. Yes, I can continue to press on. That's the reward. That's the joy. The thing that I would imagine would be so frustrating for the Lord is for him to do all that for us and for us to still think we just don't deserve it or it's not meant for us or it's true for others. You know what I'm talking about? The things that we slip into. And I just want to encourage you, receive the good news today. You don't get to be a part of a church and a vision and something that's exciting because you're awesome. Neither do I. I'm not awesome. Jesus is awesome. He has done this work for us. We say yes and run with all our heart. That's the gospel. So Lord, if anyone here just needs to know you, may they say yes right now. If anyone here just needs to be reminded they're forgiven, if they need to repent again, bring their whole self, if they need to consecrate themselves, dedicate themselves, be filled with faith, may they say yes right now as I pray. 
And God, may you be glorified in this place. Let's sing that chorus just a couple more times. Lift our voices loud. Lamb of God. Yes, Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Come on, we join with the heavens. Lamb of God. One more time, let's sing. Lamb of God. It's Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb of God. Worthy is the Lamb. I'm going to pray this benediction over us them will be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great rest of your day.